All right, good morning, everyone, and welcome to the Excavation Safety Alliance Town Hall. Are you prepared for the infrastructure bill impacts on the damage prevention industry hosted by Infrastructure Resources? My name is Karen, and I manage the education and publications offered by IR. Our ESA Town Halls are an open forum to discuss concerns and pretend present potential solutions to improve damage prevention and excavation safety. A recording of this will be posted on the Excavation Safety Alliance website, and a short recap will be included in DP Pro. Please know we'll be posting the chat, so if you don't want your comment or your name included, please indicate that with your comment. Please mute yourself now, and if you have a question, type it into the chat box or click raise hand, and we will unmute you. Today's meeting is meant to be a discussion and you're all encouraged to ask questions and share solutions. Please try to keep your comments brief to allow others time to interact. And with that being said, I will let Jim introduce himself, the panelists, and discuss a few other, a few other key facts for today's conversation. Yeah, thanks Karen and, and good morning everyone. Uh, my name is Jim Plazinski and I'm the Chief Revenue Officer with Corterra. Uh, Corterra provides uh, ticket management solutions to the damage prevention space, and we have over 1,100 customers uh, across the nation. So excited to be a part of uh, this session today, and I'll throw it over to George uh, Kemp, one of our panelists. Thank you, Jim. Yeah, my name is George Kemp, and I'm the Vice President of Safety, um, also for Government Affairs and Quality Assurance for Metronet. And uh, my other day jobs are being um, the, the Chairman of the Board for Indian 811, and I'm on the board for Sunshine 811 and, and uh, Ohio 811 as well. And also on the also the vice chair of National um, North American Damage Prevention um, uh, uh, Training or Council for um, um, Telecommunications and TDPC. And I'll turn it over to Mark. <clears throat> Thanks, George. Good morning, everyone. My name is Mark Frost. I'm the executive director of Dooley, um, the Illinois One Call System. We serve the entire state of Illinois with the exception of the city of Chicago. Um, so we serve suburban Cook, the rest of the state. Um, we have annual call volume of between 1.5 uh, and um, 1.6 um, uh, million locate requests every year. So from a standpoint of service territory and service population, we're consistently top two um, call centers in the nation in terms of incoming locate volume traffic. And um, this is my 31st year in the industry, so I'm uh, excited to be on this panel today and talk about an issue that has impacted not only our members and our excavating community, but also our call center. So I'll turn it um, over to Stephen. Just realized I was on mute. Sorry about that. Uh, good morning. My name is Steve Schaefer, manager of joint use and cable locating. I work for First Energy. We have 10 operating companies across uh, five states in the Northeast. And I also manage a ticket screening staff of two folks that screen approximately 1.2 million tickets annually that come in across our footprint. I am the uh, current board chair for the Ohio 811 board. Um, and also the secretary for the Pennsylvania One Call Board. We uh, do, um, anyway, but part of my role also is in poll attachments. I, that consumes probably about 75 or 80% of my, my time, and that's also being impacted by infrastructure funding uh, bills, but eager to, to uh, sit on this panel and uh, participate in the discussion. Thank you. 
Yeah, I'll go next. My name is Shane Bryan. I'm the Vice President of Outside Plan Engineering and Construction for Ritter Communications. Ritter's based in Jonesboro, Arkansas. We've got about 4,000 miles of fiber plant and uh, quite a bit more than that in traditional uh, copper lines. Uh, I got a lot of stuff underground, so obviously this is pretty near and dear to my heart and making sure to, that we prevent as many cuts and outages and things of that nature as possible. Uh, Ritter's also growing very quickly and very fast, and so we're uh, kind of at a point where you know we're also being damaged in a in a in a in, a, in a causing damages in some cases too with all of the construction activity that goes on. So you know, damage pre prevention is is a is a big piece of of what I do every day. So Harley, thanks, Shane. Harley Hartman, ELM Utility Services, uh, been with the company for 22 years. Uh, also near and dear to my heart, um, damage prevention. So anytime I can be a part of something like this to try to work together and, and figure out how we can all work together to accomplish the goal, which is uh, get everything in the ground and, and zero damages, I'm all for it. So I'm anxious to see uh, the questions today and where we can take these conversations. So appreciate the opportunity to sit on the panel. Yeah, very good. All right. Well, yeah, great panel we have here today. As you can see, we've got a panel that is uh, representing, you know, multiple uh, segments of, of the damage prevention space. So excited for the discussion. We're uh, we do want to just spend a couple minutes just introing this topic, right? Depending on uh, how much uh, time you have, maybe you have some familiarity with this topic, or maybe you're trying to learn about it and being a part of the conversation here today. Uh, so we have a few just introductory slides just to talk a little bit more about the infrastructure bill. I know I personally have spent quite a bit of time over the past year now uh, researching it, understanding it, talking with industry stakeholders. And so we wanted to share at a high level uh, just some of the key elements of the bill. Um, so a couple things to know, you know, I think first and foremost is, uh, you know, the bill is massive. Uh, and the impact of this on the damage prevention space is is likely to be very significant. That's why many of you, I'm sure, are here today. Um, you know, in total, as you look at the bill, you're looking at a bill that's $1.2 trillion. Um, and to give you some perspective on that, right, because they, they throw these big numbers out of government, uh, what does that mean? You know, this is about $550 billion larger than anything we've ever seen before. Um, so this is a huge investment. This is going to have a huge impact on our communities, a huge impact on our damage prevention teams. Uh, so really a massive bill um, that is going to be hitting our communities. The rollout on this is going to happen gradually over the next five years, right? So uh, this is not all going to hit in 2022 here, but over the next five years, we're going to see this really come into the market. We're going to see this starting to impact our damage prevention teams uh, in our organizations. Um, and that's something that the panel is going to talk about quite a bit here today. Um, so, you know, ready yourselves now is really the message I, I would say, because, you know, it, it, as I've learned from talking with folks is like these dollars are already hitting our communities and hitting uh, the damage prevention world uh, in a number of ways. So, so get prepared now. The other big thing to mention is really um, work for one is really work for all. I think that's another key aspect of this is, you know, obviously we've got, you know, significant representation on the panel today from folks who are maybe laying a lot of fiber. Uh, that clearly is a big part of this, but there's also work really across the board. As you read up on this infrastructure bill, there is work in really any area you could possibly imagine. 
uh, major road projects, major uh, rebuild out of our uh, infrastructure as a country in whole, in total. And, and so there's work for one is going to be work for all. And, and uh, there's going to be a lot of impact locally for you. So one of the things that you can start to do now uh, early on is just understand how this is going to impact you in the geographies that your teams live and work. Um, so in taking a look at the map, you know, what you'll get a get a quick feel for is like how significant is the likely funding in your areas? You know, if you if you look at each of the states that you're in, uh, there's some great resources out there and we'll share those at the end of the meeting today to just kind of quickly get a pulse on where you uh, have, uh, you know, funding happening in your states, what projects are approved. We'll provide some resources that can help you gain better visibility into that if you feel like that's lacking. Uh, but this is a key thing that that uh, you know starting to become familiar with how your local communities and teams are going to be impacted by specific projects in your area is super important in the time ahead um and the last thing to touch on before we jump into the panel discussion is just some of the other variables that are very much a part of this as well uh, because there's a lot of macro market things happening right now that are significant and and we've all felt this we've all heard about it if you watch the news every night you know you're hearing about supply chain issues you're hearing about labor shortages we all are living with the gas prices dynamic right now and of course there's things happening uh you know on the topic of inflation that are having an adverse impact uh, as well as just regulation right there, there's increased regulators i hear all the time from our clients the regulators are applying more scrutiny so all of these things really kind of combine combine together in a way that makes a lot of our jobs fairly challenging, right? And so that's what we want to discuss today is, you know, what, what are some of the big impact items that are swirling for each of us? How are people attacking those things? And, and that's where we'll start our conversation today. So I'll throw it out to the panel and, and anybody can feel free to jump in to kick us off here. Um, you know, what are maybe some of the top challenges that, that you're experiencing initially here? Um, uh, and, and as you look ahead, you know, what are maybe some of the top priorities for you uh, as you're thinking about all these conditions that that I just spoke to? And Steve, looks like you're raising your hand. We'll start off with you. Yeah, thanks, Jim. Um, and I'll just kick this off. I, I think it's probably a, it may be a common issue, especially for those that are using uh, locate contractors um, for their doing their locations like we do. A um, couple of things, you know, Primarily being, and I may not have mentioned, but we're electric utility and IOU, and probably 80, 85% of our plant is overhead. So 15%, 10 to 15% right in there is underground plant. It's not um, a, a large part of our business, but it's a significant part of our business in terms of the, of the total scheme of things. I think our biggest challenge today is with uh, our locate contractors. Uh, specifically one that that has the majority of our plant and they're very large, um, probably the largest in the country where they're having difficulty with on-time performance. That's in today. And over the, we've had them on a, a continuous improvement plan over the last three years, and we've not seen a market, market improvement in terms of on-time performance. So they're hovering right around 90, 92% on time, which means 10%, 8 to 10% are late. And I see this as a huge problem with the with the influx of tickets that we're going to see over the next five years, to your point, um, that they're going to have difficulty keeping up even more so then, which puts utilities, uh, facility owners in a position of noncompliance 
and also increases the risk of safety incidents. So that, to me, that's the the biggest concern that I have right now, even more than than cost. Yeah, and and I know that's a huge item for sure. Um, and and maybe, uh, you know, maybe this is a good segue, Harley, to have if you talk about as as a company that's providing contract locating services. I know obviously on time percentage is a, is a big thing for all of us from a safety standpoint um, and just ensuring that work is performed in a timely fashion so construction projects can begin and we're doing them in a safe fashion. So Harley, I know uh, something that we talked about in the past was just this dimension of increase in volume and how that's impacting um, your organization and, and all of us, quite frankly. So maybe if you could talk a little bit about that, that would be uh, great. Yeah. Sure. So as a locate contractor for a, a lot of utilities over 16 states, um, we're by far the largest, but uh, we do a lot of volume um, work. And last year and this year has definitely been challenging for us with staffing uh, issues, uh, trying to get people through the door and then the training time, the the time from the minute we we bring them on board uh, through backgrounds, getting them through a five week to six week training. That's just to get them through our training to get them OQ qualified for this work and then to turn around and really get them experienced to where we're not having to follow behind them, you know, all the time. And that's something that we do a lot of. We're very big on auditing. We've rolled out more audit programs within our company um, because of the amount of new staff that we see. Um, we have to follow these folks around. We have to make sure that we're correct in errors. Uh, so it is it has definitely been a challenge. Our big thing right now is we we're not we're not 100% on time in any market. I'll, I'll assure you of that right now with the volume and and the challenges we're having. But the one thing that we're very big on is the communication. If we're communicating to these contractors and we're documenting on these um, dig tickets, our scheduled time frame on what we agreed to, and we hold up to that agreement, that seems to work the best. I mean, I, and, and depending on how people are looking at it, whether you consider that a late, we don't because we, we've got it well documented. We've got an agreement with the excavator that this is our timeline. Here's where we're starting. And, and that's the big thing for us. And it, and again, we're dealing with, with folks doing the right thing. We got to make sure that everybody's doing the right thing with all you know, employees out there. So we do see some challenges where our our technicians will make an agreement, document it well, and then not hold up to our end of the bargain. And then it presents problems with the excavator, which is absolutely understandable. So I think for us, the big thing is how do we deal with this volume? And then the, you know, what is that volume? That's the other big thing for us is we don't know what that volume is going to look like from day to day. Um, we might be staffed today and tomorrow we might have 200 more tickets in any particular area. Well, what do we do with those? Um, we've got to have a relief valve and that relief valve is to work hand in hand with the excavator. And, and nine times out of 10, as long as we're talking to the excavator, we're making arrangements, we're holding to those arrangements, things work well. And I think with what we've got going on right now with everybody's challenges, I think that's the big thing for us and that's what I'm pushing through our company huge is we've got to make sure that we're communicating and we're holding up to to the agreements. Yeah and and uh, 
Steve, let's go back to you quick. I see you got your hand up and then I want to bring George and Shane into the conversation because I know there's a lot of work associated with fiber projects and it'd be good for those guys to share their perspective on how those are rolling out already and what people should expect in the journey ahead here too. So, but let's Steve, let's jump to you quick and then we'll come All back right. to you. All right, thanks, Jim. And, and Harley, Harley, I appreciate your insight. I'm not sure if you guys operate in, and I'm embarrassed to ask, but I'm not sure you operate in the states we're in. We're in Ohio, PA, New Jersey, Maryland, and West Virginia. Only two of those states allow or have provisions within the law that such that a, a facility owner and excavator can mutually agree to a mark out after the lawful dig date. But like in like for example, in Ohio, West Virginia, New Jersey, we don't have that latitude. And it it creates it creates a, a situation of non-compliance, even if and, and granted, we 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 appreciate that if 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 our locate contractor can't get there on time in those states, at the very least, they'll reach out the excavator, excavator for safety reasons to say, hey, we can mark it out on this state and get that done. But it still puts us in a position as a facility owner of being non-compliant and we're, we're incurring penalties and fines in PA, for example. So do you have, of the states you operate in, do you run into situations like that where it isn't really part of the law, even though you're, you're scheduling a, a later mark out? We, we do. We, we, we operate in one state where it does not allow us to make a mutual agreement um, uh, out east. And honestly, that that is a it's a big been a big challenge for us. We've uh, we've really done something a lot different there over the last three years to uh, be able to hit that 100 percent on time, which is the, what the commission over there um, expects and will allow. Uh, and it has been a challenge. It has absolutely been a challenge. But uh, we we have been able to to manage through that in the one state. The rest of our state, the other 15 states that we operate in, allow us to make a mutual agreement with the excavator, yes. which is very yeah. nice. It is. Yeah, agreed. Thank yeah. you, <clears throat> Shane and George. It'd be it'd be great to hear from uh, yeah. you from the uh, the telecommunications lens. Obviously, all these major fiber projects that sure. are a part of the bill. Tell us how that's already rolling out in the communities that you're serving. Tell us what you see uh, on the journey ahead here and then maybe related to some of the things that Harley was talking about and the constraints that a lot of these third-party locating companies face related to this. How can we maybe get out in front of this in a way that can help everybody? Yeah, I, I think uh, I think it's really important that we understand that volume is already up due to a lot of the other activities from from you know rural broadband development funding and cares act and at usda and these other entities that have been pouring money into broadband to serve underserved areas throughout the country anyway so we're already elevated with the number of locates that exist and, and that are going into the system every day and then now we have to consider over the next five years you're going to layer another very, very large spend on top of that. Um, and so so it's going to exponentially increase the number of locates needed. You know, you know, when we talk about fiber optics and broadband, we often don't think about the impacts that, you know, you know, uh, upgrading a bridge might have on or widening a road might have on fiber optic development. Every time one of those activities take place, you're going to have locates, you're going to have fiber optic lines that need to be rerouted around or through or moved. And so as that, as the infrastructure bill pours money into all of those sectors, you're going to see just this, just this ex exponential expansion in all directions for underground locate activity. 
And from an operator's perspective, like myself, that that's a that's a double pronged uh, approach because I, I'm trying to prevent damage to my facilities. But then I'm also as I build out and expand our current network, I'm trying to prevent damages to other utilities that are out there. And so, you know, and, and I would add that, you know, speaking to, you know, the the timelines and the, and the on time percentages, you know, one of the things that I've done to really mitigate um, is it's some of the damages that occur is to tell my contractors that you're not digging without marks, right? Whether whether it's I'm on time or not on time, we should be working together with our locate teams and locate companies to, you know, if they're running behind on something or in a particular area, let's let's get an idea ahead of time and have the conversations with the local uh, leadership for those companies and 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 let's find out when are they going to get to it and then we'll schedule around that because it's it's but you have so many concurrent projects going at the same time that you know it, it on time is probably going to be a pretty hard thing to do for in in the current you know labor environment that we're in yeah and I, and I want to bring in a question that's a great uh, segue awesome. to a question from the audience that came in here uh, from Donna Williams was asking a question to Harley tied to some of what you were just talking about there a little bit Shane is like hey as you have these types of discussions right with the various stakeholders um, how are these locate agreements between the excavator and a contract locator or an excavator and the utility owner how are they documented and how is that measurable how are you guys managing that maybe talk a little bit more about that if you could yeah, so what we what we do internally is we have we have an actual form that uh, changes that changes the due date, who we spoke to, the, the time we spoke to them, the phone number, whether it was in person. If it was in person, um, they they're able to sign the form agreeing to the scope change or the new timeline and and the starting point. Um, and if if not, we we try to get our guys to send it in a text to the excavator, and a lot of times that's attached to our ticket. So I could pull up a ticket right now where we have a text from our tech to the excavator, laying out what the agreement was, and then the excavator responding to that text saying yes, looks good, thanks. Um, so we try to document it that way. Now there are some times where it's pretty challenging to get through to some of the excavators. And then we'll end up leaving a message. We really watch for those. And we, when we're measuring that, that's what we're looking for. We're looking for that documentation from us to the excavator, from the excavator back to us and well-documented. That's really what we're looking for there. Um, not necessarily a signature, but a, a confirmation from the excavator. The leaving messages, we, we try to look at those and, and tighten that up. We can't leave messages. We've got to figure out a way to, to touch that excavator in person or iPhone. And have you found excavators to be agreeable with that? I see another question that came in, uh, you know, what excavators actually sign these, right? Uh, so, <laughs> nine so, out of so ten that, will not sign these is what they're saying. So that, what, I guess, what have you seen there? Yeah. That, that's, an, that's another, that's another uh, issue is getting excavators to sign, right? We have some that will sign off on them uh, and then others that just won't, re they'll, they'll refuse to sign it, but they will confirm to the text. Um, if you send them a text, they'll they'll say yes, come back on the text saying yes, I agree, or they will uh, say no, that's not what I agreed to. The other thing that we do is we try to, the ones that we've left messages for, we try to have our office personnel get on the phone first thing in the morning and start dialing those excavators up when they're, you know, first first thing in the morning before they get going for their day and hopefully by their phone and, and can take the call and make sure the agreement 
and then document that that they've spoke to the excavator and and we agree it's it's a challenge there's no perfect solution to this but you know we're trying to figure out different ways to work together and make sure that the communication is there the biggest thing is just making sure that the excavator knows that uh, don't put a shovel or a bucket in the ground because we're not marked yet, and that's the big thing. We don't need a damage, no matter who's who we're gonna is going to take the damage or who's at fault. We don't need any damage out there. Yeah, absolutely. Um, George, might be valuable to have you share a little bit more about hey, as you guys are looking ahead at maybe some of the acceleration that's going to happen with some of these fiber project uh, investments and expansions. You know, how are you as a company maybe communicating that to the various stakeholders and, and what are some of the maybe give people a sense too of like compared to where we've been, how significant is this coming up if you have some context for that? Yeah, um, so uh, to, to share with you guys about um, Metronet and we're in about 15, 16 states now and rapidly growing. Um, we've been actually building at a rapid pace for some time now. And so what, what we're talking about today is not going to be new in the next few months. It's already happening. Um, and to share with you guys, I've heard a lot about communication and relations. People have been talking about that here on, on this webinar already. And, and I want to share how important that is to Metronet. We've realized that if we are going to be able to accomplish the growth that we need, we've got to be able to partner with the other stakeholders. We cannot just sit around and demand that we have rights and that we need to have locates done at a certain time and you need to get them done for us. Um, we've got to be able to work with them with, and to partner with them. And so one of the things that we've done, because we're in so many states and so many cities, we recognize who the big players are. And then we have an annual meeting with them. So like for instance, just to name off one um, locator that's in a lot of states that you guys know, USIC. We have a yearly meeting with USIC we forecast out for them the whole next year where we're going to be going and how fast we're going to be going in every single one of those cities. They've actually partnered with us, and, and it's amazing this year especially when, when we see that the production is up in, in all markets for all types of utilities and construction that's going on. USIC is actually ramping up for us because what they've done is they've known that where we're going, they know how fast we're going to go, and they're planning ahead of time of actually adding folks. Even though we're in this labor shortage, they're finding the folks in the areas where we're going and they're adding them ahead of time and getting them trained so that they're ready to go. And that's big. So then I'm, 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 besides that, then we also make sure that we have weekly as well as daily phone calls with all the locators, uh, uh, and not only USIC, but the other locators who are in the area to say, hey, this is where we're going, this is what we're doing. Um, what are your concerns? Um, this is what we're seeing. And it's working really, really well. And I, I just want to emphasize that communication and relations um, can't be emphasized enough. Um, one of the things that we also do is that people could say, well, that's with the big players. Well, we go into small municipalities as well. And municipalities, as you know, they may only have one locator locating for their water, their sewer and everything else. And, and when they hear us coming in, they're like, what are we going to do? And so we partner with them as well. And there are many ways that you guys can do this and that we do it as well, is that we determine how much they can handle. And if they can't handle as much as we need to be able to throw at them, we find alternatives for them. For instance, some of them may actually uh, be in agreement with, hey, would you be willing to actually bring on some contract locators uh, to the municipality to be able to help you out during the short term that we're actually there? 
and we'll talk through and negotiate with them and, and being able to help them out with different um, situations like that. Um, but uh, no, it's, it's, it's all about um, communication. It's all about just working with the different entities and um, our contractors all know that we actually require that they actually sign a document. I know the contractors who are on here may not like this, but if you're gonna come work for us, you sign a document stating that you're gonna allow us to be able to be your legal representative to enter your locates on your behalf, because we do not allow all these excess locate um, call-ins where a contractor will call in 2000 feet when they only need 500 feet. You know, I actually was talking to one contractor who um, a prime contractor and, and who was having trouble getting his locates. And I asked him, so how many um, uh, feet did you call in? He said, well, we called in 20,000 feet. I said, how much can your contractors, your, your crews do? And he told me how much they were. And I said, you just called in more than your crews are going to be able to accomplish. You're part of the problem. Yeah. So we require our guys. You're going to sign over and then we monitor how much they can do on a daily basis. And we call in two days, sometimes three days in front of them. And we manage. If you help manage your contractors, <laughs> the ownership goes back on us as utilities as well. Yeah, no, that that's great. I want to bring Mark in here. So, Mark, I know you were sharing, uh, you know, there were some things that you're doing in the state of Illinois around extreme locate demand. And I know this topic of like project tickets is a big thing. And, you know, hey, you're you're putting in a locate and it's got 20,000 feet of locate attached to it. You know, not all locates are created equal. <laughs> um, so, Mark, it'd be good to hear a little bit about what you guys are doing in the state of Illinois as you're thinking about some of these things. And then I want to come back to that topic of project tickets because I know there's some questions coming in from the audience here too in that topical area. Sure, Jim. So thanks. So, you know, we're in a unique position as a, as a damage prevention center because all of the different stakeholder representatives that you've already talked, you know, um, uh, we've heard from so far, we touch all of those folks. And so um, one of the things that we recognize is that before this infrastructure work, 70% of all, all of our volume on an annual basis comes from our own utility members. The utilities themselves are 70% of our excavation year in and year out. We've studied it for years. It's the same around the same percentage. So the, the answers start with them. It doesn't end with them, but we've put it together a lot of different approaches to deal with this in, in increased demand from the communication piece, the advance notice, we do utility coordination meetings in the 13 to 15 most volatile counties in, in our state. We've um, now have created a, um, a learning management system. And one of the things we're doing with the learning management system this year is that one thing we haven't talked about yet, Jim, which is the fact that these types of projects are bringing in out-of-state contractors that are familiar with what, what the rules are in Pennsylvania, but they have no clue what, what those nuanced changes are in Illinois. So we're actually creating a micro um, a micro learning series just for out-of-state excavators so that they don't have to watch our entire learning management series on excavating practices in the state, but just get the pieces that they know, you know that they need to know for Illinois. Um, the large project process, we are um, creating a portal where our members can identify um, on a map, on a heat map, the best way to explain it, where they can actually find out Either they can enter their large projects that are coming or they can go and view what's coming into their area so they can better prepare. Okay. But one of the things you asked me about is our extreme locate demand. We're, we're, we're really excited about this concept and, and what, what it basically is, is an advisory. And, and what we do is that as these projects are hitting some 
rural and smaller areas that are not used to this volume, sometimes the volume is 10 times what they're used to for that same week in June. So how do we deal with that? How do we help our smaller and mid-sized members and even our larger members deal with that? Well, one way we can do it is, is to enable our members to be able to report back to us that they are experiencing extreme locate demand. We will then go back and look at a historic average um, right now, we've, we've expanded that now for this year to a five-year look back, a, a, a trimmed mean look back where we, we throw out the high year, the low year, and then average the remaining three years. And we look at a percentage increase. And once that increases over um, a certain percentage, it is identified as a high or a, an extreme locate demand zone. And then what we do is, so then Shane, if you're calling in for that county and city in our state, and we've already identified it as an extreme zone for this week, We'll, we'll notify you and say to you, hey, Shane, there's, an there's probably a, there's a probability that the, the, already the locate demands in that area, your project's going to be delayed. So can you even either give us a later start time or could you delay your project and call back at a later time? And we're getting a lot of, of good traction with that because we're trying to look at real-time data and do something with it. And, you know, and again, it's an advisory, though. So if, if, the, if the excavator says, no, I've got to get this project done, and I know that I might wait longer, okay? Or they might give us a longer start time right up front so that, that the, you know, the utilities and or their contract locators don't have to call back and arrange this, this, longer, this longer locate period. So it's, it's something, we, we pulled the trigger about uh, 10 times last year based upon our criteria. Um, but I think as more and more of our members understand that, that it's available and as these projects continue to grow in our state we're just going to see the, the, the growth of that extreme locate advisory growth yeah that that's a great uh an interesting program that you guys are taking on there i, I think uh you know it, it'll be curious to see and, and is that something mark have you guys talked with some of your peers uh across the nation to figure out if similar programs like that are being considered or or are people doing that in some other other areas I think a few, a handful of, our, of my peers are doing it, but in different ways. This is, I think, a little bit unique to us. Um, we're just trying to take the data that, you know, um, we're on the Northfield platform and, and it allows us, we have a great wealth of reports that we're able to utilize to be able to get this data, you know, and to be able to share it. And, and we're actually breaking it down. And, and so everybody understands, it's not just, okay, there was 150 locates this year compared to 100 last year, okay? And it's also looking at the size of the dig site polygon. So if 150 represents six times that 100 in terms of how much footage that the locators have to locate, that's what matters. So it's not only a question of how many locates a difference from year to year, but how much footage or mileage is being looked at. So we're looking at both. Yeah, that, that's a determination. It's not just count, it's size. It's, it's size, key, it's size of the project. Sure. That's right. Yeah. So, so for for others on the panel, or you know, again, I, I think we also got some questions coming in from the audience that I want to maybe get to here as well. Um, you know, maybe talking a little bit more about project tickets. It seems like, hey, George, you talked a little bit about how you're basically consulting with people and saying, hey, here's a scenario where you're bringing something forward that's not real friendly to the system, and it's just not going to work. Period. Based on what you're doing, and it's it's kind of weeding out some of those bad behaviors, right? Uh, Steve, I see you have your hand raised here. Maybe if, if we'll throw it over to you and you can kind of touch on uh, that topic or, or a, a similar topic if you have some other thoughts there. It looks like you're on mute there, Steve. 
Yeah, I'm glad Mark spoke to that problem. I, I think that that's another big problem that, that's existed long before just this, this uh, infrastructure funding bill that we're talking about. But like, I'll, I'll use the example, in Ohio, we don't have anything around large or complex projects. It's, it's called out in the law, but there's no, there's no definition. It doesn't tell, talk about the, um, and, and the amount of the process and detail. Um, contrast that with Pennsylvania. They have, and some of you might be aware of this if you, if you operate there or do any business in PA, but they have uh, what they call a larger complex project ticket. And that's defined by um, a ticket that's either um, more than a thousand feet, linear feet, uh, more than intersection to intersection or complex by nature. And if you have a complex project, um, you cannot just su start submitting routine tickets for that for the, what would appear to be a complex project. And, and a facility owner can call that out. They see that they get a ticket dump of 200 tickets. And for example, it's it's pole reinforcements or pole replacements in our case. That that excavator, or I'm sorry, that uh, facility owner can say, hey, wait a minute, time out first energy. That's a, that's a complex project. And it automatically throws it into that bucket. You can't dig on a on a complex project ticket. So what that goes into, you create a, co a coordinate PA. Um, there's a website, external website, and it uh, will manage that collaboration and that communication between all parties, um, the locate contractors that are representing. They're they're acting as the agent for the facility owners, for facility owners, for excavators, designers, and project owners, and. One thing that's kind of neat about the law, which was painful for us in the beginning, because um, Lord knows we've made our mistakes in this and learned from our of those bad experiences. But what it does is it requires all of those stakeholders to have a meeting. A meeting can be, can be held in the field, it can be held virtually, it's documented in a coordinated PA. And like say, for example, in the example, examples that Mark gave, say it, uh, a project owner has a, they're building a Walmart and they've got 40 acres of property that they're going to be developing. So that becomes a complex project. In those meetings, there has to be agreement, not just consensus, but the facility owners and the project owner have to agree on that, on that schedule so that all the facility owners are signing up saying, yes, I can get this marked out in, in the time according to the schedule that we agreed upon. And it really has worked out very, very well. We went, from the year before, um, uh, uh, alleged violations, the man, they had mandatory reporting in PA back in uh, 17, April 17, I believe. And in any case, uh, prior to that, we had like 35 complex projects in the whole state for the whole year. Now we're tracking at somewhere between 1,500 and 2,000 per year. So it is, it does work. And it, um, it's, it's, it's nice that they all, everybody has to agree on it. You're required to agree. And if you don't show up, that's an alleged violation on you if you don't show up to the meeting as well. So yeah, absolutely. Just a thought. I, I want to bring in the audience here, and it looks like uh, Kevin uh, Saucer, I believe, is, is how I would pronounce your name. Kevin, would you be willing to uh, just speak up? I know we've taken you off mute here. Um, would you be willing to speak up and just talk a little bit about your locator proficiency question? I think it's a good one and relevant to some of these challenges that we're discussing here. Yes, thanks, guys. I appreciate. Uh, being able to, to join the conversation and uh, here locally, we're Riviera Utilities on the, the uh, south in South Alabama in Baldwin County. And we have in-house locators. We only have six staff locators that we, uh, um, and the reason we have in-house locators, we have multiple, multiple utilities. And uh, sometimes the 
you know, a typical locate may involve four utilities in our in our immediate service area, not unlike what some of the contractors are called upon if they represent different facilities or um, you know or, or contracted out to do, which we find here in South Alabama. Uh, but some of the things that we have seen locally, and I don't know if it's indicative of everywhere else that um, contract locators are, are working, is the turnover rate. And even our own turnover rate at our own facility has been uh, one that you know was unprecedented. Uh, used to they come to the local municipal utility and they work for you from the day they sign up to the day they they retire. But we no longer see that with uh, today's labor and workforce. Uh, we see that turnover with uh, the contract locators and the proficiencies of those locators causes some concern because they're entering into a, a job after doing a, a you know a, a introductory training and, and what have you. But a lot of those proficiencies that a locator gains are gained over time. And, uh, That's right. No locator's perfect, and we all. Uh, realize that from our own experience and our locators within, and even seasoned locators make mistakes. So uh, that's been a concern with the turnover and even um, in the opportunities we've had to explore uh, contract locators with our overflow, maybe that uh, seems challenging because we do have late tickets as well. Uh, we've been reluctant to explore that because of what we've seen uh, with the, the same proficiency. Uh, I guess perception that we have locally. Now, I'm just wondering if anybody else has had that same uh, same experience. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> yeah, this is Shane. I can tell you that from my my experience on the operator side, locator proficiency is pretty important. We do a lot of our own uh, internal locates as well to to find our own facilities. And oftentimes, if I mean that you said it exactly right, it's it's, it's experience is key to it. Uh, you can't you can't just throw a locator out there and with a you know a few hours of training or a or a week of ride along and and pretend like they're going to be able to you know effectively measure and you know put put marks on the ground and you know that it, companies that do that will end up with you know a lot of damages that uh, that happen you know marks being six or eight feet off of the uh, of the actual path for various reasons and resonance and all the hundreds of different concepts that are baked into the locating process so it's, it's important very important yeah uh harley here kevin i'll chime in on that as well i mean we we're not happy with the turnover we see have seen and continue to see in this industry um and it is a challenge for us uh especially with uh you know five six week training program and then like i mentioned in the beginning you know the the auditing that we have to do behind these these new folks the other thing that we've done uh, as of recent is uh, redesigned our our ticket management system to really focus in on uh, what tickets these new employees should be going out with the complicated these long projects these new employees shouldn't have that they're not they're not skilled for that type of ticket yet um, so we're really just trying to make sure that we put the the right ticket in their hand and then get these tickets looked at. Because again, I've always said, you know, that that first year, once you get them through the training process in that first year, they're not really that. I mean, you got to stay on them. You got to stay behind them. Um, they get into their second, third year. Now, now you've got somebody. The problem is, is when you lose a five-year or even a three-year veteran, 
or or higher it takes several more to replace what that person that knowledge and that just walked out plus what they can actually do for you in a day versus you know three new guys um not counting the the amount of staff you need to get behind them and really look at their work so yeah. we're seeing it and it is a challenge yeah it's a, it's a real issue and and i know um you'll be interested to hear from the group right so you got turnover then you try to backfill people, right? We got labor shortages. I hear this across the board. I think anybody's lived with this to some degree here over the past six to 12 months. Um, anything people are doing in those areas uh, to like either A, bolster retention or B, help with bringing in new people to the organization. What are people doing in those areas to attack those problems? Because those are very real problems. I'd be interested to hear from the panel on kind of what people have done there that maybe has worked a little bit. Mark, you raise it. No, go ahead. Sorry. So, Jim, I um, one of the things that we're doing, and, and this is specific, um, this isn't a specific response to the fiber, the you know the the, the underserved areas that that money that's already flooded into Illinois um, regarding that, and then we see this infrastructure money coming in. So we already know from the slides that were shared, this is a five-year commitment, you know, for 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 this amount of work. So one of the things that we're doing, obviously we can't hire locators at the damage prevention center, but one of the things that we're recognizing, my board president and I are in dialogue with the state agencies that are involved with the grant projects. And we're taking the basic principles of a grant, right? When you, when you go for a grant, okay, there's always some labor cost involved in a grant. There's some money to implement something. So we said, why don't we take that same principle and, and, say, and go to the state and say, look, if you're flooding the, the market with all of this work, understand that the locates have to get done. Can you dedicate some of the grant money for additional locating resources? Mm -hmm. And and people th laughed and said, you know, Kevin and Mark, you're not gonna get that. Well, guess what? Our state says we recognize the problem and we agree with you. So we're working out the details right now, but we're actually looking in, in our state that a portion of the grant monies that are gonna be available in our state for this type of work is going to include money to pay for locators. And the fact that, that we, re we recognize, Jim, and, and everybody else that, that this isn't just gonna be a one year and done. So now you're talking about potentially getting to, you know, men and women into these jobs that they will become careers, you know, an opportunity for them to be able to have a livelihood for, for, for a long period of time. So it's something that, that's in process right now. We're pretty excited about it. We think that it's groundbreaking um in in terms of recognizing because this isn't going away we have to do something yeah and i think that's a super interesting angle that you, you folks have taken to it there mark and i you know i've learned quite a bit here just from my own conversations with just members of the legislature is hey go out and have those conversations i think i think that's something that really for anybody who's a part of the ecosystem here like don't be afraid to do that like you'll be amazed like as, as we reach out go say hey here's here's my role in the process here's why i want to chat with you you'll probably start with a staffer you you kind of work your way up into the into the higher levels at, at the uh members of the legislature but it's super important because unless people are being vocal on these topics and communicating what's needed and what the challenge is all of these members of the legislature they want to get the win for their communities Right, they want to get the win. If the work can't be performed because we don't have enough locators to go out there and allow the digging to begin, 
these dollars aren't going to actually be realized in our community. So I think it's a really interesting component of this that having some dialogue on that topic can be incredibly valuable for sure. And Jim, one last point is we just didn't do it on our own, but we brought in one of our one of our strongest strategic partners, which is our PUC, the Illinois Commerce Commission, because they're responsible for regulating a lot of these utilities. So they came in and said, it's killing the utilities in the state. They need help. So, you know, from one, one now it's just not Julie going to the states. It's another state agency going with us to another state agency saying, yeah, we, we need some help here. So th that's helping us, you know, so don't be afraid to ask because the worst thing is you're going to be told no. But if you don't ask, you're not going to know. And then secondly, don't be afraid to leverage those those existing relationships that you already have at the state level. Yeah, Ka Kathy uh, Thrash, I'd like maybe you to jump in with your question here because it segues into something else that I was want us to talk about here you're asking about kind of locator compensation uh could you could you jump in with your question here if we could take you off mute there uh be good to maybe get you to jump in here because i think this could create some interesting conversation kathy are you uh, are you out there if not then i can jump in on your behalf maybe because i think it'll create some dialogue with the group here and she's asking about locator compensation packages, right? And, and what can we do to maybe make these more attractive? Anybody done something creative there that they're finding is working in, in a successful way? And I think the other thing this brings us to is like the economics of the ecosystem. You know, I, I think there are just realities out here for all of us, right? As we're looking at what's going on in the market today with all these macro market conditions. Um, so let's start with just a little bit of dialogue. We got about 10 minutes left here. A little bit of dialogue about um, what people have been able to do to kind of help with the economics for the locate role specifically, um, but also talking about just some of the more of the macro market conditions here and supply chain things that are perhaps uh, following up the aggregate economics of the uh, the programs we're working through here. Jim, Jim, just real quickly, thank you, Kathy. With Sunshine Eight One One, thanks for speaking on my behalf. I was having difficulty unmuting. Yeah, we've we've heard you know that it's just a low entry level um, pay scale and that's why it's very difficult you know to pull those folks in that it's just vital you know to keep on staff so i'd love to hear from the group on that anybody want to jump in harley maybe yeah i'd, I'd uh, jump right in here on this one um so something we've done, and, and it used to be, I would say it used to be um, exactly what you're talking about, Kathy. I, I feel like we've we've tried to tackle that uh, several years ago and, and recognize that as being one of the big problems. Um, but one thing that we've done uh, with working with some of our customers is uh, took on other type of work with the customer, entry level, really entry level positions, um, you know, some customer service work. Uh, I, I'll mention one of painting meters. Um, once we get them on board, get them hired, get them through the backgrounds, we give them this job. If they're if they're working out, things are going good. We have a step program in the company where they can go from that on up to a leak surveyor, on up to a locator into a standby and monitor person. So they have steps that they can graduate up and keep earning more as they work their way up and then also right up into management. Uh, I think that's a that's a big factor too is that they have to have they have to see that it's a career out here. It's not it's not just a job. It's a career and and they can end here 
uh, with a good solid career and support their family and make a decent living to do that. So we've been trying to change that. And I think just partnering with our, our utilities that we work with and, and up in our uh, technicians compensation package, because it is a very important, stressful work that they do every day. And, and it used to be that, you know, entry level position. It's not, it, it is not that anymore. It is, it is absolutely critical on every line they put on the ground out there for everybody around and the folks digging on it. So we have to have very confident, very skilled people out there doing it, and we're going to have to pay for that. Yeah, absolutely. It's a, you think about the risk profile of this work being performed compared to other uh, things in our lives where people have to go out and get all these certifications before they can do various jobs, you know, whether it's massage therapy or various other things, right? Meanwhile, you're going out there doing this critical locate work and, and there aren't maybe some of those same standards and high risk layers attached to it. So it's an interesting uh, challenge for all of us to, to figure out how to continue to attack it. Uh, one other thing I want to just kind of maybe get some some commentary on from the group is like I know supply chain is a huge thing right now, and and obviously as we continue to see more and more work coming with the infrastructure bill, um, you know what I know last year I'd heard there was a lot of challenges made with paint as a as a key issue for folks. Um, are there other things like that that people are experiencing right now that people should be aware of, and and what are you doing to attack that? Maybe throw that over to the panel. <clears throat> yeah, this is Shane. I can tell you that that uh, material is 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 a pretty big issue, right, across the board. And what you'll find happens is, you know, uh, underground duct will not be available for, you know, it might have a year lead time, and then and then you can get fiber, you can get tracer wire, and then you know ducts lead times come get get brought in, and then fiber goes out. And then you have this seesaw effect where it's just kind of a continual up and down for your lead times for all materials. And, and it's very difficult to predict which of the material types are going to have the next jump out in the lead time. And, you know, like what we're trying to do is we just we just buy it when we when we see it. Right. We add more and more vendors. We, you know, and, and try to find more distributors that may have stock on hand. When we see it, we buy it and just stick it on in a warehouse somewhere um, or on a yard somewhere in order to you know try to get ahead of some of that it's a big issue so i i'd jump in there as well jim on that topic uh last year we did see uh, uh we got very concerned at point uh, point in time on paint um along with flags uh this year this year i'm not seeing it so much on the paint but i don't know how that's going for others because we kind of did the same thing we ordered a lot of it up front and we're sitting on uh about a year's worth of paint so but i am seeing it with the flags but I, I mean they're starting to they're starting to open up a little more we got a couple other vendors we were able to get a couple other vendors on board to help us out with the flag issue that we were seeing this year our big one though is is vehicle repair um you know and purchasing vehicles um that is a huge one we've got a lot of vehicles um, newer vehicles that we've purchased sitting at uh, dealerships waiting for chips waiting for transmission parts it is i've got probably 80 vehicles sitting across our states at four uh, the dealerships i won't just say one but dealerships 
um, just getting repair repairs done on vehicles. And then we turn around and when then the vehicles go down, we have to turn around and figure out and we're having a problem with enterprise, the rentals, you know, those rentals aren't out there like they used to be. So backfilling those vehicles that have been sitting and I've had vehicles sitting in the shops since January of this year, still sitting waiting for parts. Yeah. So it's a problem all the way around. It's not just one thing, um, but it, it seems like every time we turn around, there's another hurdle to jump. Yeah, and I want to bring in uh, Kemp Garcia here. I know he's had his hand raised, and thanks for being patient with us, Kemp. We'll, we'll bring you in here for some thoughts or questions. Yeah, not a problem. I'm sorry, I'm transitions to supply chain, which the contractors were having our issues with that too. So understood on that portion of it. Um, what I do uh, uh, want to talk about is, is as uh, contractors, I've talked across the nation um, with NUCA, they do tend to say that the contract locators are usually their toughest animal to work with. Um, and I, we wanna to try to create a better climate um, from contractor side. So locally, um, the state of Washington, NUCA, NUCA of Washington, the National Utility Contractors Association, we've put something together that's called the, uh, uh, basically just locator of the year award. And so we're doing it in the three counties that we operate the most in to be able to give a monetary um, uh, award to that locator, uh, maybe give them a safety vest that says NUCA Locator of the Year Award uh, and a plaque, and then they come to our come to our annual auction to be that be represented. So uh, we're pushing that through. This is the first year we're doing it. Um, it's I've reached out, I've gone out to ELM and talked to ELM a little bit, and I've, I'm in, in talks with USIC. Uh, so we want to we want to do that as good players on our side also. And I've seen nothing but the utilities really like it, the contractors like it because. What I'm saying is to the to the locators is if you see one of the uh, Nuka Washington sticker on the back of a, a vehicle, understand that they you might you know they might be putting your name up for an award, and uh, and Harley the, the first one I got um, so far is, is through ELM. So just a heads up on that. So we want to be good players out there. Also, um, we know that there's tr troubles on on the locator side, but we you know we want to get work done too because our clients are pushing us and we have timelines that we got to get it done in. So it's like hey. You know, I've got I've, since we've been on this call, I've had a bunch of plumbers calling me asking, hey, man, my locates are late. I'm, I need and because I also do private locating and I go, I can't supplant the one call system by a private locate. So. So anyway, uh, I don't mean to go on, but that's what we're trying to do to be good players also. So. Yeah, I love that. And in the concept of just recognition, gamification, awards, I think that's a big thing for sure. I've seen a, a lot more of that here in the past six months. Um, and, and I think those ideas are just phenomenal to just create just the right level of, uh, you know, people stickiness for us with great people in our industry, right? And, and I think showing people that, hey, great work will be awarded and recognized. It's just a valuable thing in, in any uh, segment of life. So I think it's that's awesome. Uh, Mark, you got your hand raised. We're going to we got to move towards wrap up, but let's uh, let's maybe throw it to you for any final thoughts or comments here before we kind of shift towards uh, the wrap up phase. And we'll, we'll leave it open at the end for some additional questions from the audience if, if folks have it as well. But I'll throw it over to Mark for some uh, additional thoughts here. Sure. Thanks, Tim. So um, regarding the, you know, um, the, the supply chain in the marketplace and everything else, really, my my input on that is we have a group now that we've created a task force called our Locate Summit Group. And what that, that group meets three times a year and they're looking at data and specifically they're looking at data of those entities that are that are the cause for second request remarks, okay? Because most often second request remarks, sometimes they're weather related, but more often than not, 
it's the excavator who's calling in and then doesn't start their work within the 14 days in our state that's required. And more often than not, it's our own utility members that are causing those. So what it is is basically a bad apple report. We call it a bad apple report. We're taking that report then and we're going back and targeting those companies, those utilities and say, can you please, we understand that supply chains are, are difficult, but don't call in for locate requests for projects until they're shovel ready. And, and when you do that now, you know, you're, we're trying to help locating is a limited resource. So we're trying to make sure that we do everything in our power and we're trying to do our part at the damage prevention center to assist with that, to at least mitigate those, those projects that don't need marks on the ground. Let's reserve the locators for those projects that are ready to go. And so that's one of the things that we're doing uh, with our locate summit group. Yeah, that's, that's excellent. Harley, I know you got your hand, hand raised here as well. Well, uh, Bring you back in for some final thoughts. All right. Yeah, I just wanted to go off of uh, George's last comment there. Something we've done internally as well. And I, and I appreciate you pointing that out, George, because I mean, it's something that we thought about. Uh, we've only done it uh, four months now, but recognize uh, elite locator of the of the month for within our company. Um, and then what we're doing is interviewing that individual and just trying to figure out. And this is this to make the elite. This is an individual that's been with us a long time, damage free, uh, safety's great, everything's you know. And, and what we're trying to do is we're giving them a nice a nice package for winning that, a nice elite jacket, and then interviewing them to try to figure out to help when we're interviewing. What type of people are we looking for? What's these are the type of people we want to get into this business. So some yeah. different things we're trying. I just wanted to touch on that and I'll, I'll stop yeah. there, Jim. Oh, that's great. Yeah, identifying those objective criteria for great people, right? It's just a, such a critical thing. What are those things that stand out in your best people that allow you to recreate that as you bring in new people to the business and train your existing people to reach those same levels? So no, it's, uh, that's excellent. Um, well, good. Well, I know we are we are coming up on time here already. So um, a robust discussion. Um, you know, a couple maybe final thoughts for everybody. I think if I'm summarizing just some of what I heard here today, and uh, you know, it's about being good partners to each other is one of the biggest things. It's about thinking creatively, right? Like we, a lot of these problems, and I, as I've reviewed the chat here throughout the conversation, they, you know, some of these problems have been around for a while. Some of them are getting more aggressive here as we have the infrastructure bill hitting the market, right? And I think one of the biggest things that stands out from the conversation to me today is, you know, how can we be good partners to each other? How can we be highly communicative? How can we be proactive? And how can we think creatively? I, I think, you know, there's there's great ideas out there. There's people that have been doing this for a long time that are coming up with new ideas and things that um, are working. And, 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 you know, I think really more than anything, being good stewards to each other. And, and I think I, in one of our uh, sessions we had, you know, prior to this meeting today, you know, somebody said, hey, you know, affording your stakeholders some grace in certain situations and working together and making sure you're communicating. I think those are some of the biggest things that can really help, um, you know, be thoughtful about the key partners you have, whether it be folks at the call center level, the, the contract locators, you know, be thinking about the economics of all this too. I think that's another thing that's super important is just like, hey, as the conditions are changing beneath all of our feet right now, work together to figure that out. Work together, make sure there's an opportunity to just understand like, hey, costs are rising. We can't keep just 
giving people the same model, right? We, we got to work with them. We got to help them understand the challenges they face and we got to work together on it. So uh, some really great discussion. I really appreciate uh, our panel here. Just was an, was an excellent uh, group of folks to work with on this. So thank you, uh, George, Mark, uh, Steve, Shane, and Harley. Really appreciate the dialogue from everybody. Uh, and I will throw it back over to the uh, team from Infrastructure Resources here, uh, the Excavation Safety Alliance to maybe wrap us up. All right, well, thank you, Jim. Um, and as Jim mentioned, please stay on for a few extra minutes after we wrap up if you'd like to ask any additional questions. My name is Whitney Price and I am the Special Projects Coordinator for Infrastructure Resources. On behalf of everyone at IR, I wanna extend a sincere thank you to all of our attendees, participants, those who shared your thoughts and solutions today, and a big thank you to all of our uh, panelists and our moderator for their insights and knowledge on this topic. So as a reminder, the recording for the town hall will be uploaded to excavationsafetyalliance.com along with registration for our next month's town hall on July 14th, titled What Makes a One-Call Law Fair and Effective? You will also receive a link to this survey for this town hall, so please share your thoughts and your feedback so we can continue to make these better. And discussions like these will continue at the 2023 Global Excavation Safety Conference taking place in Tampa, Florida, February 14th through the 16th. Currently, we have registration set at 8-11 now through August 11th, and session abstract submissions are open, so if you'd like to submit a topic, please feel free. As a quick reminder, there will be a short recap from this town hall included in DP Pro, so if you aren't currently subscribed and you'd like to, you can do so at dppro.com slash subscribe. The survey will be posted now in the little chat box, um, so you can take that, and it will also be sent by email, so feel free to take it one place or the other. And again, if you'd like to stay on for a few extra minutes to ask your questions, please do so um, either in the chat or we can unmute you. And thank you all again. I really appreciate it. Thanks, everyone. It does look like we have maybe a, someone with a hand raised here. Whitney, I don't know if I can see who this is. Let's see. Delvin Rogers, if we can take Delvin off mute. Hello, hello. Hello, how are you? Hi, hi. I, I'm, I'm fine. Thank you. Great information. Yeah, absolutely. Did you, uh, did you have a question for yeah, the, the panel? Yeah, yeah. So my question is, um, I'm, I'm a new, upcoming independent, locating. LOC. So any advice, going forward, from anybody? Yeah, well, I'll, I'll throw it to the panel. Lots of it, <laughs> lots of it, or a little bit. You know what I mean? Anything you'd like to share? Hire lots of good people. <laughs> it's it's yeah, a challenge. We show, yeah, we we just we're hoping to show our business savvy by attending meetings and, and just being forthright and uh, getting getting out there. Right, besides us guys being pros ourselves, you know, part of the team. Yeah, I think getting great people is a, is a key one for sure. Uh, I see Randy Byrne is out here. Uh, Randy's raising his hand. We want to take him off mute. Maybe he has some advice for Delvin. Randy's been doing this for a little while, so he probably has some helpful thoughts. I have a feeling. Yeah, uh, my helpful thought would be to uh, make sure you bid the projects correctly, and 
The other piece is, is I know I, as a locating uh, company owner, I've been asked over the years, you know, why don't you pay your people more? And I, I would be with a customer sitting there and I look at my customer and just point at him and say, my purse is tied to your purse. Okay. So uh, you got to bid the job right. <clears throat> and on the other side of the token, the utilities need to understand what the what it takes to actually do the work. And it's not just about the low bid and the low price. It's about doing the work correctly. Because if you don't know what you, what it takes to even do your own work, it's hard to even look at a bidder and say, um, yeah, we'll take you guys when they might be the low price and they're not going to be able to keep up. They're going to have late tickets. They're going to have damages. They're not going to be able to retain employees. It all goes in hand with a certain at the utility level and who your customer is. Yeah. And Randy, I, I think that's an incredibly, that's what we were starting to talk a little bit about at the end is like the economics of the ecosystem is, you know, hey, you, if you're if you're getting a lot of downward pressure from, you know, the, the major utility owners to give you the lowest price, you know, you kind of get what you pay for. I, I think it's something we talked about offline with the panel before the, the meeting. You get what you pay for. You as a as a uh, contract locating company need to be able to staff appropriately in order to provide a certain level of quality. And, and I think that is something that I'm hearing more and more from I know our major utility customers um, is just so an understanding of that. I think they're maybe have experienced some challenges and some frustration as some of these challenges we've talked about here today are continuing to spiral more and more. So uh, I think that's an incredibly important thing for again, everybody to be thinking about is, you know, one one phrase I, I really value in business is like you want your partners to be successful. Um, yeah. And I, I think the more you can think about that as a business owner, and, and as a just as a steward in the industry here is like creating an environment where people can work together, understand the constraints, the challenges, and, and try to be just willing participants in a reasonable business discussion around the economic aspect of things because it's a it's a challenge for sure. We all we all face it, um, but I think keeping keeping our minds around that's super important. Thank you. Thank you very much. Yeah, Mike Moore. I think I see a new hand raise here. Mike Moore. We take Mike off mute. Mike, do we got you out there? Can you hear me now? We can. You can. Hey. Yes. I wanna. I wanna. Uh, Really thank the group for getting these meetings put together. It's really awesome to listen to you guys. I come from a manufacturer of tracer wire, and I've been doing this for about 20 years. And I develop specifications and what I call a total system so that when I go into, for an example, I can take a cul-de-sac with 60 homes in it with all the utilities. And if the proper tracer wire is put in the proper way, and the dead ends are grounded, I can locate it in about 15 minutes, where it normally takes a normal locate guy two to three days to do that locate. And I just see there's a misconnect between the owners of the facilities, uh, the 811 folks, and then the tracer wire installation people. It, it seems like we're not on the right page because I can leave this restaurant today and go down and find a marker post and pull it off. Fiber is really bad at this, and I'm not saying all fiber is, but I'll open up the test station. All the wires are coming to one location when they're supposed to be hooked to different locations and they're supposed to be grounded and they're not. And I think a lot of that's got to do with the contractor that's installing the tracer wire, didn't have real good instructions on how to do it, right? Or 
uh, wasn't instructed by the owner of the facility, whether it be the fiber, water, sewer, gas, whatever it might be. I, I got major gas companies out here where we see wire just coming up in a PVC tube, you know, and, and if I'm a locator, and I locate for a living as well, if I go up to that and hook on and I put my ground on, it won't go anywhere unless I have a ground at the far end. So I think there's really a lot of misconnect, misconnect there with how to put a trace of wire system in to make the locate guy's job that much easier and quicker and efficient, if that makes sense. Yeah, no, that's, I don't know if Shane or George, if you guys have any thoughts or comments on it, it's obviously critical. Mm -hmm. what, any any uh, perspectives you guys could offer up on those comments? Oh, absolutely. I could, I could write a book on it. Um, <laughs> I, couldn't, I couldn't agree more. I mean, um, you know, the, one of the challenges that operators have with that very topic around contract labor that are installing a lot of these tracer wires or when they're using um, uh, metal band straps for the, you know, the non-dielectric or, or the jacket, the metal jacket fibers, is there's there's so much money that's been thrown around in the industry that there's it seems as though anybody that uh, that has got the means is out there buying a you know a drill or something to go and and start and start putting fiber in the ground right and and what what you have to do and what we do is is we go we take them through before we let them come on and do work for us we take them through a a, a, a rig, pretty rigorous process for onboarding right is to is to say okay let's let's take you through do you have certifications how long have you been doing this what kind of machines do you have walk me through how you go about installing tracer wire and we kind of I won't say we test them but we kind of test them right to make sure that they actually know what they say that they know how to do and you know and then and then from my perspective making sure that we're or my team we're coming in behind every one of those installations and we're QC in that and we find those very topics that you describe Mike all the time and you know we we have to have contractors come back out and we try to use that as a learning opportunity um, when they come back and say you know you can't you, they got to be separate uh, you, you got to be grounded you got to have tracer wire here's how you do it you know that's kind of that's huge yeah i think I, I think one of the misses that with all contractors is that we're not making them do a locate before they leave the job you know we're not you know it, it it's really an inexpensive insurance policy is what i call it if it's put in properly we can really locate everything but i think in the end the inspector of your company or anybody's company needs to get with the contractor and actually hook on and do a locate you know continuity testing doesn't work locating does and if we do that before we leave the job, because most contractors give you a one-year warranty, you know, and a lot of times we're not locating for another year or two because there's no other facilities going in. So we never know that it's not working until it's too late. And then I think the key is to get companies to write that in right away, is let's test the system before I write a check to you, Mr. Contractor. If it's not working, what better time to fix it than right now? Absolutely. No, appreciate the uh, the input there, um, Mike. That's that's some great insights, and obviously something where it's everybody can be a steward of that. I think it helps ensure that the uh, outcomes are easier for everybody long term, for sure. Ken Smith, I see uh, you have your hand up out here. Uh, can we get Ken into the conversation here? Ken, uh, are you off mute? Hello. Can you hear me? Yes. Okay, great. 
Um, yeah, uh, just to kind of piggyback off what the last gentleman was saying, um, I agree that the jobs should be located after they've been installed, but not only should they be located, you should document that. Because if you document that, um, say using an app, like I use an app called uh, Pointman, you can actually document it sub-centimeter and then you can use that data to actually go back and locate that facility for the life of the facility. So I don't know if you guys are aware of those types of technologies. Um, there's Point Man and also there's a company that I just found out about called Prism, where they have this uh, gyroscopic um, device that you can actually insert into a conduit and pull out and it basically give you, um, you know, three dimensional location of actually where the facility was installed. So I was just wondering if, you know, uh, the panelists have heard about this technology and if anybody's utilizing any of it. Thanks. Yeah, great, great comments. Anybody on the panel, uh, you know, key technologies, maybe I, I think that's a key part of the conversation here as well as like technologies that have been super helpful or impactful relative to any elements of the ecosystem here. Yeah, so um, just to speak to that, uh, we've actually developed an in-house uh, technology and application program that we use where our contractors are not allowed to get paid for anything that they do until they've actually uploaded for us documentation, which is photos on site with the GPS coordinates of everything. So if there's a flower pot that's being put in the ground for our fiber, we wanna see that flower pot. We wanna see how it's installed. We wanna be able to see a surrounding to make sure that um, it, all of the, 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 the restoration to the ground has been done properly. Um, as well as we've got aerial um, photos that are taken for all the aerial work that we do. So, no, I mean, that, that's a really, really good um, question that you have there. I don't actually know whether or not we actually have them certify in this app as well, um, as far as the, the locate wires go and if that's been tested. But I know that um, most everything else has been in our apps. We require it. <clears throat> yeah, very good. From the rest of the panel, any other kind of key technologies that have been a part of just uh, evolving the ecosystem, I guess. Yeah, I'd, I'd go ahead and chime in on the, uh, you know, uh, Vivax VLOC uh, Pro 3 RTK also has uh, GPS capabilities while we're locating, um, paired up to with an app um, that, that gives uh, sub uh, meter accuracy as well. Um, that I know some of the utilities that we work for have, we've been using it for them about mapping their facilities. So to uh, Ken's point at later down the road, 10 years from now, you can still find it um, what, regardless of the wire or what happened to the wire. So there is some of that going on. And I know that there's one utility we've worked for for a lot of years that have been doing their mapping, uh, GPS mapping, while the placement's been going in for about the past 10 years. And it's nice when you roll up on a locate and you, you're having problems with the wire and you see that, wow, this was GPSed in, great, I got it. Um, so it is definitely helpful and that technology's out there for sure, just a matter of getting getting going with it uh, and utilizing it. Absolutely. Yeah, I just, just had one more uh, point that I wanted to make on that. You can actually uh, locate facilities, literally like say once every foot if you wanted to, and you can actually go back and actually locate it via GPS and it's like dead on. I've done that several times where I've actually located, you know, a line then came back months later with the GPS, dug the line and was able to find it. So what I'm saying is that maybe eventually this might be a new method of actually uh, locating underground facilities. And eventually, if you have that accurate information, you could possibly automate it someday and actually use drones to actually do the bulk of the work and obviously have a human supervise it. So. 
I'm really excited about it. I've used the technology. It works. And I just wanted to at least say, hey, you know, just check it out. And I thank you for your time. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And I, I think looking at technology as a means of creating further automation, you know, with all these constraints we've talked about today as part of the conversation, right? Hey, we got people constraints, we got supply chain constraints, we got all these constraints, and we got more work coming. Um, what are we going to do, right? You know, we we don't have enough people, and we don't have have certain products, right? Like, how are we going to solve these problems? I think leveraging technology. Um, you know, you kind of think about it in three buckets of like people, processes, and technology. How can you drive improvements in all areas um, and be be thinking ahead? You know, something that uh, I talk about a lot with a lot of our customers is like, you know, look ahead, figure out what are some of the things that you can do to optimize the use of technology in your environment. I think it's a very important thing amidst the environment and the challenges we face in the journey ahead. Um, so really being thoughtful about that and making sure that you know, not only are you assessing new technologies, but assess the optimization of your current ones. Because I think more often than not, I see people, they, they buy all these technologies and, you know, you ask them on a scale one to 10, how well they're, those technologies are working for them. You get varying answers, right? Some people say it's, ah, it's a five, six, seven, right? It's probably the most common answer, right? And so, you know, invest time to with the vendors you work with or with the, the teams uh, that are leveraging those tools to make sure they're truly optimized, because I think that's a key thing in in this journey ahead here as well. Any final thoughts or questions? Some great questions here post the, the initial hour here. Any any additional questions from anybody else who's still left in line? Looks like we got 30-ish people still on. So any final questions? Okay. Well, again, really appreciate the uh, the discussion here today. I think it's been uh, enjoyable and, and helpful. I think some hopefully some good ideas that that people can uh, bring forward back to their own organizations. Um, you know, certainly feel free to reach out to myself or any other members of the panel here. Uh, you know, I know we we uh, view our everybody in this ecosystem as resources to help. So, you know, feel free to reach out to any of us for follow up questions post the event here today. Uh, thank you to the team at uh, Infrastructure Resources for putting on this event. I think it's been uh, enjoyable, and I imagine there may be some further conversations to have on some of the subtopics that surface here today. So looking forward to the next one and, and appreciate everyone being a part of the discussion here today. Thank you. Thanks, Jim. Thank Thanks, you. Scott. Th thanks, guys. Yeah, thanks, everybody.